Hey, what's up? It's Mike. Welcome back to Dented Cans. Uh, another awesome episode today. Uh, my buddy, hysterical comic Doug Smith, joins me to talk about a uh, guided MDMA therapy session that he did. And we walked through the entire process and some of the amazing revelations and uh, realizations that he had and I was honored to be able to sit and chat with him. Uh, this stems off of a conversation I had on his podcast called Jehovah Boy, which you can hear wherever you get your podcasts. You should check it out. Follow him at who Doug Smith on socials. Um, and of course, as always, like we're not giving medical advice. This is all just purely, um, you know, ed- for education and entertainment and do your own research and speak to physicians and all that stuff before you embark on any type of, uh, you know, a mental health journey of your own. So, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, share, uh, goes a long way. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Mike Fenoya, uh, for the full video, uh, the full, no interruptions, no ads, just you and the interview. Uh, patreon.com forward slash Mike Fenoya. Also, huge shout out as always and a big thanks to Sunset Lake CBD, our sponsor. I love Sunset Lake CBD sleep gummies. Uh, they help me sleep quite a bit. Uh, they're mixed with a nice melatonin blend. You could get it in the tincture form as well. Um, I particularly love the salve that they make. It has an arnica in it and I rub it on my old bones because I'm fat and uh, they're taking a beating. They have a dog CBD that Charlie loves. Uh, There's so many great products. You can go to sunsetlakecbd.com and check it all out. And if you use promo code DENTED, you will get 20% off. That's D-E-N-T-E-D for 20% off at sunsetlakecbd.com. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Doug, for uh, joining. And we will see you soon. Peace. All right. Hi, Doug. What's up, buddy? Good to see you. I like your hair. You do like it. No. (laughs) I'm just, I, I, you don't need to do that. I don't need to do this. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, hopefully 10 years uh, ahead of the game. It's a trial run for when I eventually do need to do it. But I realize this is cultural appropriation at its finest. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Cultural, cultural, follicular appropriation. Have you been getting uh, dirty looks from other, From, from actual bald guys? Not yet, not no. yet. And I didn't. You didn't give me a dirty look when I came in here, but I could just sense. I don't think I could you... sense the vibe of like, what? What did you do that for? Yeah. Well, that was going to be the first question, but yeah, it's not. It's almost like a, like I looked at your head, and I will continue to because I'm easily distracted. But also, it's like, oh, that's what it would look like. <laughs> like that's what I think. Like I don't have the option anymore. Yeah. And I don't miss hair. I just miss having options. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can now grow a mohawk. Yeah. You can grow a perm. You could do fucking anything you want. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. So thanks for being here. This is going to upset you even more, <laughs> but I'm going to go there. So I started to, I did start losing my hair. I want to say eight years ago, I noticed like, you know, quite a bit coming out in the shower, you know, okay. the shower drain would look like there was like a dead baby squirrel in there you know what i mean yeah that's, I know that's those, how you that's yeah. how you first know you know yeah totally it's not you don't notice it in your day-to-day life it's it's the shower where all hell breaks loose yeah so i started doing taking something called finasteride you know about this it's a it's a do you think i know about it because i'm bald 
<laughs> or because it sounds like my last name if it like, was do a... I know I own stock in finasteride. <laughs> it's Mike Finasteride is the <laughs> I don't know what it is. Is it like a um like like a Propecia kind of thing or Yes. Okay. Yes. I think it's like generic okay. Propecia. Yeah. So I started taking that and then uh I I stopped because my hair stopped falling out. But I know it's like one of these things you have to continue doing. Yeah. And then uh my wife and I were both on Accutane. Do you know about Accutane? That's a skin? Yes. And that makes like, your hair fall out. It can do all kinds of things, man. It can make you suicidal. Oh, jeez. It, it can make your hair fall out. It can uh, do uh, all sorts of, you know, they have, they. it's it's such an extreme, um, a, uh, a concentrated dose of vitamin A, I think it is that apparently can just wreak havoc on your body in other ways. So the oh back God. of every tab, uh, women cannot get pregnant on Accutane. They can, but they cannot give birth on Accutane. So there is like a cartoonish image of a conehead baby on the back of every <laughs> tab with like a no smoking, like don't fucking You'll have a conehead birth baby. a conehead baby. Yes. <laughs> wow. So even as a man, to have to punch out, a pill out of a tab every single day and see this conehead baby is horrifying. Because <laughs> you don't want to be the father of a conehead baby. No, 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 no. So no. wait, like, so you can take it while pregnant, but there's something about the passage of the baby out of the hole that will give it a I conehead. So. Yeah, Accutane gets, just gives you a real tight pussy. Tight puss, but beautiful skin. <laughs> yes. There are no pimples on that puss. No, none at all. Wow. So. Did that mess with you? So your... that brought that that kicked it off all over again. So then I started. Uh, so my wife and I both, because her start hair started falling out too. Oh my God, which is you know much less uh, socially acceptable when I you're a woman, so. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So then there was this other sort of topical stuff we started using, which is like it's it's uh you know it's like in a in a dropper that I rub that on every night, and now this is what's going to make you angry. Not only do I feel like my hair has like stopped falling out. But it started growing back to the point that my hairline is a fucking disaster. Like I have hair, like I, I just shaved it and I used a razor around here, but I have hair that's starting to grow down. Like I, I'll start looking like Teen Wolf. You're going to start, start looking like um, the, the son on the Monsters. Well, I've already, that that was my first nickname in school. Was, was it? Eddie Monster Eddie... because of my widow's peak. <laughs> and I used to shave my widow's peak You did, off, dude. Oh, my God. We have so much in common. terrible when that starts dude. going back in. Oh, my God. We have a lot in common. But my widow's peak was very pronounced when I was a kid. But, yes, now I have, like, it's coming in at all kinds of weird angles down So you there. have more hair than you more hair used to. More hair than I want to in then places to. that I don't want it. I'm sorry for your, I'm sorry for your troubles. <laughs> I have hair only where I don't want it yeah. and not where I want it. Yeah. I don't have, yeah, so I don't know how that feels. Do you have a hairy ass? Oh, fucking, oh, my God. Uh, I got a real hairy ass. It's awful. It's In brutal, fact, yeah. I've had, I had such problems with my hairy ass that I had a, a pylonidal cyst. Have you ever heard of this? No. Is that from an ingrown hair? An ingrown hair. Uh, an infected hair follicle yeah. at the bottom of my tailbone, right where your ass crack meets your tailbone. I have heard about this. Dude, it's okay. like a pussy yeah. ball of pain. And you you pick at it and you you know, you're not supposed to and whatever. This is just when I start just when I met my then girlfriend, now wife. Okay. And I had this thing, and I had to go get it lanced. They cut it open. They drain it. They found a hair, like a twisted up hair, like a like this big in it. Of course, they showed me, and I'm like, fantastic. Like, thank you. 
what am I going to do with this? Make a necklace. Make a necklace. (laughs) Make an anklet. And uh, they they put a drain in it, and you have to, like, have a loved one, like, take the gauze out, put new gauze in, let the pus drain out. So, like, my first date with my wife, I had, like, a tail. I had, like, a a pus drain on top of my ass crack, and I'm like, she's never going to, like, thank God we didn't, Uh. like, have to. I didn't have to take my pants off that first date because oh. I'm glad I didn't get there because I didn't want to have to be like, no, nah, I don't think we know each other that well. Or like, do I be honest and be like, I have a pus drain coming out of my tailbone, you know, but I ended up getting another one. And while we were together and she drained it and she did all the cleaning, she like likes that stuff. She's one of those nurses, nurses that like watches the pimple popper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she gets Some off on that, that shit. Yeah. I hate it. Well, you're in luck. I mean, I was gonna say like that's unfortunate that they insist that a loved one does that. Well, like, I, why, why do they? Why are they? I love that they had. They punishment? said a they loved should make one. people that do like you know picking up trash on the side of the highway. <laughs> Imagine that. They should be the pus trainers. Did you get like an armed robbery? Like <laughs> yeah. you get partnered up with someone at like the local. Pr- you have to go to like Newburgh to get your uh, pus drained every day. Yeah. yeah, hairy ass is bad, but sweet. Are you? Are you Italian? No, I'm not, and I'm not a I'm not a very hairy person. Otherwise, so you just have I mean, ass and I can't head. even grow a full I can't even grow a full beard. You can't, yeah, ass ass and head, ass <laughs> yes. and head. Wow, dude, yeah. Yeah. no shoulders and back and no, you have no. little patches. I, have, and I there. have a tiny bit of chest hair on one tit. Just my just my <laughs> right tit what? has a little patch of hair. That's it. Do you remember that thing, Wooly Willy, when we were kids? That was I do. like the yeah, magnet. Yeah, yeah. That's the like you, thing. like you are yes. like. Yeah. It's all just every uh, everywhere. Unibrow too. My mom horrible unibrow. used to take me when I was like twelve years old to get electrolysis on my unibrow. Damn, which is still to this day some of the worst pain I've, I've ever experienced. Is that the is that like the laser the zap? Laser, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. dude. It's, oh, like like when you like were twelve, cold sweat down your down your spine. Yeah. Have you ever passed out or like fainted due to pain or anxiety leading up to something that might cause pain? Because uh, no, okay, I haven't. I feel like that I have, but that that that's probably the closest I ever came. Really, I used to dread going to these appointments. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You went a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then it, and and it, they she eventually like you know zapped it all. Now it still comes back here and there. I I tweeze it. Damn, dude. But yeah, when I'm shaving my head, I I'll do a quick yoink like with right, the razor right. just to try to maintain it. But I have a whore, dude. If I didn't maintain the hair on my body, it. I make I have a joke in my special about it. Like I look like a like a high school mascot at halftime, like with his head off. <laughs> like I'm just like covered in like a fuzz. I just have like a felt everywhere. It's horrible, yeah. dude. And I have to maintain it. I have a bit in my special about it where it's like every guy who shaves his head, like you get to the neck and you're like, do I keep going? Right. Like right. what guy am I gonna be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. no one goes bald before. Well, not no one. Me. Before you're like married or you don't have to worry about it anymore, you know? Sure. You want to be in presentable fashion. Yeah. And you don't want to take your shirt off at like 26 and some girls will be like, what the fuck happened to you? Yeah. So yeah. I had to, I've been hairy for a long time. Now I have them like, I have outside of my nose. Oh, wow. Hairs. Yeah. And ears. I have to I'm maintain to that shit. Ear. Yep. Yep. You get in the lobe. Like low yeah, and fuzz. I'll start to get mad at my wife. I mean, that's like, what What the hell do you have a wife for if she's not Tell maintaining me. your stray, you know, <laughs> ear scruff? You have a phenomenal mustache, though, and you always have. <laughs> and I feel weird. I can grow a killer mustache, but I can't. I don't have the, the structure to yeah. pull off. I look like some weird 
I don't know, Halloween yeah. gay cop or something. <laughs> like it's not it's not good. But yours is great. And you even have the little, the little Zappa patch too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I got to balance it out a little bit. But That's I've had good. this for Jesus, man. Like the, I think it's been like twelve years now to the point where I the I think, I think I'm committed you. to it. I don't think I can get rid of it now. Yeah, my bet- son would be horrified. He hates this. So if I was to shave my mustache, he would I would be unrecognizable. Why did you shave your head? I just got tired of getting shitty haircuts, and I had a guy that I liked, but it was always it would always be a little bit off, and I would always be trying to like fix it up myself, and I just I hate the process of going to the barber, and I, I just got tired of it, man. Yeah. And I and I shaved my own head when when I was in my early twenties, and uh, I just thought, fuck it, give it a shot again, and I don't know. My wife likes it for some reason. Dude, it looks great. You got a good head. Thanks, man. Some people don't have a head for shaving. I was given enough tummy time as a kid. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> tummy time. One of my one of my buddies. I love the guy. I just thought it was because he was Polish, but now I know it's because he wasn't given enough tummy time. The, the back of his head just looks like his mom just fucking ran into the end zone and spiked him. It's <laughs> just completely flat. No, he has in the past. He shaved it one time, and I was like, dude, you can't. Yeah, it's, yeah. He yeah. looks like KGB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's rough, dude. I know the first time you shave your head, for those of you out there thinking about it, you get a stomach ache. When you're halfway through, you're like, fucking. It's like yeah. unwrapping like a gauze. Right. And it's right. like, how bad is the scar? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. dude, it's so funny. I was one time, did you ever like make a horrible mistake shaving and then you had to like do a whole, like, were you ever yeah. trimming your mustache and then you had to, it's had to the get rid worst. Of it entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I was getting ready for a wedding. I was the best man in a wedding and I was drinking all day and I had to go in and like shower and shave and get ready. And I had one rogue like runaway like eyebrow hair and I took my nose trimmer, nose hair trimmer thing and I went to like trim the hair and I just wasted like rushing. <laughs> I cut like a vanilla ice line. Like I cut like two big gashes. Yeah. And it just looked horrible and then I tried to fix it and made it way worse. So my mother had to come over and like draw in like the rest of my eyebrow. I had to give like a speech and stuff and like doing your best Uncle Leo impression. Dude, I'm like, yeah, what? I'm fine. But all my friends knew about it, so they were breaking my but they were going like, let us brow our heads in peace and shit like at the church. (laughs) And I was so nervous that I had just like eyebrow dripping down. I was the I was so embarrassed, dude. And I I bombed the speech because I was terrified that I was just like leaking. Like people would be like, "The fuck, this guy's yeah. head's melting." You got a Giuliani, Giuliani <laughs> oh leak <laughs> running yeah. into your eyes. Yeah, right. Like, oh, I've known Justin for my whole life, and I'm just getting. Uh... But dude, yeah, it looks great. I love it. I didn't know if it had something to do with your trip to Costa Rica. Well, that too, because this is this. We, yes, I just got back from Costa Rica. Not my first time. My third time going. Oh you, no, shit. You've been? No, no. dude. I want to go bad. It's beautiful, but the the heat and the humidity is. Brutal, and I'm a total bitch in the heat, man. Yeah, I'm so, a wuss. So, like, I kind of did it in preparation for that. Okay. Know, let me do whatever I can. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, this is the first time with the family, or you brought them? Second time with the family. So, my wife and I went there for our honeymoon uh, in 2013. Oh, cool. And then we went back with our son last year. Loved it. I have a hard time, like, with international travel returning to the same place because it's, you know, there's... There's the world to see. So it's yeah. like, what the fuck are you doing? Go back, go mad at the same spot. But it just, it checked all the boxes. Costa man. Rica's so we, paradise from what I've heard. I know a lot of yeah. deadheads that are living there now because they're yeah. just like, fuck America, I'm going to Costa Rica. Right, And right. I'm like, sweet, like get it ready. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> Get it ready, yeah. Or do you Airbnb or do you do hotels and shit? So we did, uh, I hate to use this term, but it's the term used by the place that we stayed. You've heard the term glamping before? Uh, yeah, I, I do the opposite. To, I hate to say glamping. What's slum camp? I slamp. Slamp? <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a, a, a sleeping bag and a tarp. Yeah. And that's it. So you went like treehouse with like... So this, yeah, this place is, it's probably the nicest place we've ever stayed, but it's like these big ornate bamboo structures with a heavy duty tent over it. It looks like something out of like a Ralph Lauren home interiors catalog. It's like, it's like (laughs) beautiful oriental rugs and there's still electricity, running water, full kitchen, but it's just, there's no walls, you know, you're in the fucking jungle. Wow. And it's amazing. You know, there's howler monkeys, you know hooting and hollering overhead there's 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 tree frogs and and Damn, uh dude. you know giant four inch long grasshoppers all over the place it's it's like a insect and and reptile safari just surrounding your tent that i think about the sounds at oh night. yeah it's yeah. got to be incredible it's almost deafening it's almost deafening that's so neat dude and there, there were howler monkey f- wars every morning at like 5 a.m to the point that it was it was infuriating you're like screaming at each other yeah like the first night it's like wow how cool is this but then the second or third night you're like shut the fuck up (laughs) and one time just share the goddamn banana (laughs) enough do you have any whispering monkeys man (laughs) talk about hollering (laughs) use your inside voice outside uh and one morning when we woke up we were walking out of breakfast and there dude there was monkey shit scattered all over the trail. So they were literally, like you hear about monkeys throwing, throwing poop at, at each, each other. other. I yeah. always thought, they don't really do that. They do. Dude, it was everywhere. Dude. Wow. They were just pelting each other with shit. That's it was insane. all over the place. And you're just living in a, glor- like a beautiful tree house. Yeah, yeah. In monkey war. Totally. I kind of love, your your son must have loved it. He did, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, how do you not as a kid? He, he's never met a creature that he didn't love to the point that, like, you know about the lanternfly crisis, obviously. Uh-huh. We're, we're told to kill lanternflies on site. Yeah. He is harboring lanternflies. <laughs> is he really? He collects them and puts them in a terrarium oh at home. God. They all die because, you know, he, he yeah. doesn't know what to feed them. Yeah. But he thinks he's doing them a favor. Uh, and he uh, he's vehemently opposed to any sort of lanternfly This is the abuse. second story I've heard about your son, and I want to be best friends with him. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's he a found metal. He, yeah, he found metal on his own, yeah. and now he's, like, harboring animals that should be killed. <laughs> I yeah. love this kid. Yeah. That's fantastic. So he he was like catching lizards left and right in Costa Rica and uh oh it's paradise for him. But yes, so I do cool. hate the term glamping. I I I tried to uh I tried to make my own term catch on. I was like we should call it open air accommodations. And I like my wife it. was like, "Oh, that just sounds like you're homeless." You know? <laughs> yeah, you're sleeping totally. on a park bench. Open air accommodations. <laughs> open air accommodations. Yeah, the sky is my There's ceiling. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. You could get poetic with that shit for sure. <laughs> Glamping to me just kind of was like adulting. It's just one of those words where it's like, now I camped, going to follow bands, and you know we're literally sleeping like at a rest area in like West Virginia and some shit. That's totally not glamping. Yeah, it's like four dudes like trying to sleep off acid. <laughs> in like a tent and it's just like a fart hot box you know <laughs> opposite of glamping but when i hear glamping it's like it sounds nice yeah it sounds beautiful and i'd like to do it i'm fascinated by these tree houses that are like everywhere now right that you can literally like go stay at like a four-star tree house 
Yeah. That's dope. It is. I want to go to awesome. I want to go to Costa Rica real bad. We're going to Italy, Turkey and Greece next summer for awesome. like first time I've ever been over there. I yeah. want to see old world. Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Sure. It's weird Absolutely. that like this is the oldest. Like America yeah. like the east is the oldest yeah. of like the colonized whatever the fuck. The, yeah. yeah. The newest country there is is the <laughs> oldest we know. <laughs> oldest we know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was on your podcast Jehovah Boy, which I love. Thank you for having me. And we, I feel like we scratched the surface on an important, our conversation went a bunch of different ways, but we talked a little bit about psychedelics and I wanted to talk with you about our respective guided, uh, unconventional therapies Mm -hmm. that maybe we've done. And I think they're getting more and more like, you know, in the common vernacular and stuff, but I'm always happy to talk to friends about the experiences they had and like why they got into it, how it went like through the process and like what you came out with and did it help with any of your dents or anything that you're kind of, you know, went in trying to work on. Sure. So let's dive right in. I want to hear about this. You did MDMA, right? Yes, I did. I did. So that was like, I had done mushrooms previously, but in a more recreational sort of way yes you know like my first time doing mushrooms was with a bunch of buddies in prospect park and like you know summer day and it was like i instantly recognized that it was beneficial because i'm a total germaphobe and i remember like lying in the dirt in the park (laughs) yes totally like picking up fistfuls of dirt and like just and just like drizzling it on myself, <laughs> just feeling so one with the earth. Right. And I was like, right. oh, this is exactly what I need. I went from like Howard Hughes to just like a fucking earth creature. Yeah. Yeah. And uh so I instantly could recognize the benefits of it, but then I got I got carried away with it, got cocky with it, started doing mushrooms at like bars while drinking, had a couple of real bad trips. But I could I could instantly recognize the the benefits of it in terms of acceptance of everything and then so the mdma thing came about because uh my wife as you know is a therapist yes she had uh read about mdma therapy you know being used by soldiers other other people uh, you know victims of of trauma or ptsd having tremendous benefits and she knew that i had like uh struggled with depression and anxiety so she was the one that first brought it up to me she did it before i did uh with a guide and had tremendous things to say about it um i had done it once before again recreationally with a buddy when i was living when i first moved here i was living in the east village he got a hold of some and uh, I didn't even leave the house. We just like hung out in the apartment watching movies. But Why just, would you have to go anywhere? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Everything in front of you is wonderful. The universe comes to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just an appreciation for absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah. No negativity whatsoever. None. And I, so that was again like a mental note of like, okay, this is nothing to be afraid of. This is right. just pure joy and love. <clears throat> but um, you know, the idea of really. Not doing it recreationally, but doing it in a much more mindful, immersive way was something that I hadn't done that I knew that was helpful to people. So she put me, 
she was referred to this guy who I think her guide had recommended. And again, this is not a this is not a doctor. This is not a psychologist. Underground. Yeah. It's all yeah. underground. Yeah. And there are levels of underground uh-huh. that I have found out that there are people who are kind of like your they call them like kind of the gringo shaman who's like, you know, they take over the WeWork in Williamsburg and yeah. get a hold of some ayahuasca. And then there are people who maybe have a background in medicine or a background in therapy and they believe in the psychedelic power of healing and stuff. So they kind of have maybe put their careers on hold to go do this, but in a safe and, you know, mm-hmm. observed setting. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So this guy, I, it was like, you know, and it, and it can like, if I hadn't already been used to uh, buying weed off people with through signal and various other, like, you know, yeah. decoded messaging apps, I probably would have been kind of sketched out by the whole process, yeah. but I was, you know, it was something I was familiar with. <laughs> so I had to like contact this guy on Signal and just use his initial and not say not specifically say MDMA, but just be like, I'm interested in a journey. And you know, it's all this kind of coded talk. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um and he got back to me and we we uh orchestrated like a, a time and place to meet up. And uh yeah, again, like if I had not dabbled in this world before, it sounds like, you know, you're marching off to get whacked in some it's fucking good. alley in Williamsburg somewhere. It's like you're it's like you're it's like you're texting with like a, a sales associate at REI. You're like I want to go on an exploration. You're like I need the yeah. proper tools yes. in order to you know achieve my, you know, peak and everything. It sounds like you're going on like a yeah. you know out yeah. with a sherpa or something. Right, right. Yeah. Totally. So how was that? Was it like was the communication part like It was good. He he definitely like put me at ease and said all the right things. And like, he kind of gave me a little bit of a backstory of, of his foray into this world and people that he had worked with and his first guide. And like, uh, you know, he knew, he knew how to say all the right things to kind of put yeah. me at ease. Yeah. And so, uh, <clears throat> and I needed it too, man. This was, uh, it was, um, I have, so he, he gave me my session notes. I want to just tell you the exact date that I did it. So September eighth of twenty twenty. So this is about what six months into the into the pandemic. Yes, and I was rough going, time for. I was going through it. I mean, we all were, but I was not only had felt like I had lost my identity as a comic because we weren't really doing shows, but my son had just started kindergarten, and I went from being, you know, full time stay at home dad mode to now he's in school. I don't know what to do with myself. So I felt like my identity had been kind of stripped of me in two different huge aspects of my life. And just out of curiosity, how old were you in this? What, like late 30s? Were you 40 so I'm, yet? I'm 40 now. So this was, okay. this was yeah, 37. So you're also approaching 40. Yeah. Which, yes. that's big. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. go ahead. I don't yeah. mean to interrupt, but I want to, no, no. yeah. All good. Yeah. Um, Yes, the uh, for several years approaching forty, it's a very it's a very daunting. It sure is, for sure. yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the so, world goes. Why don't you just sit and think about it for two years? Yeah, yeah. Don't distract yourself. Just sit and think about how you're. Dude, it was it was forty was such a a a, a dark cloud looming overhead that I was already when I was so my birthday is in January. I remember March of last year. Somebody asking me how old I was, and I was like, "I'm gonna be 40 in January." And they're like, "In January? It's it's why are you telling people 
it like that. You when you were 33, you're like, I'm going to be 40 <laughs> yeah, in six yeah. years and eight months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're counting down. What are you doing, man? Damn, They're dude. like, embrace this time that you have, you know. Yeah. Claim yeah. that you're still in your 30s. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I had I was in a pretty lost, low place at this time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and so it was, you know, the timing of it was perfect. So I meet up with this guy. He gives me an address in uh in Williamsburg and uh I ring his buzzer he comes down to greet me and there's this girl with him when he comes down and they had clearly just fucked like <laughs> they were like giving each other eyes and she was like clinging to him and he was like had his hand on the small of her back and like before he even acknowledged me he like leaned in and like tenderly kissed her and I was like what the fuck did I just wow? Walk in on, you know, yeah, yeah. And then like I didn't realize at first that this was his girlfriend. I thought like, is this how this goes? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the next person that comes What's... in sees you. He's got <laughs> yeah. the sm- the hand on the small of your back, yeah. tenderly kissing you. Yeah, I was like, hey, oh, whatever you're works. Like, fuck, man. man all right, this is gonna whatever works. Total enlightenment and inner peace. <laughs> So inner inner peace. (laughs) (laughs) So he parts ways with her, and uh, now it's just you and him. Now it's just me and him. But there was something kind of like, there was something kind of cool about it because it was so present in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like this is what I this is my woman. This is what I'm dealing with right in front of me. Yes, you are welcome here, but she is my top. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was there was a presence that I could sense from him, where it was kind of reassuring in a way. I get it because I'm so not present and such a fucking people pleaser. Yep. And like, it can lead you to act like an asshole because 100%. you're constantly pivoting in terms of your attention and your focus, and it can lead you to do very antisocial Aspergersy type things. I feel. You're operating from a place of fear where he's operating from a place of love. And you're both kind of looking at each other right in the eyes. And it's like, it's the yin and yang. Like, it's totally like, yeah. And you're looking at him like, can I be him? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, you have that kind of like, fuck, man. It's like Hank Azaria and... uh, when he was a scuba instructor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, like, that's... Ruben, look me in the eyeball. You're not for scuba? <laughs> that's who I like want to spiritually be. Sure. Is fucking just, yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing five t-shirts at the beach. He's like speedo, fucking, yeah. fucking everybody's chick. Yeah, basically God. a pasty so... on his cock. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying. And I think that when you're in your own head, you're like, you don't even know who to be. And you're almost intimidated by, not confidence, but like happiness. Yeah. Right. You're kind of like, I'm not going to be like, I would see that guy and be like somehow angry at how happy he is. Yeah. But in not angry, like I'm happy for him, but I'm mad that I'm never going to be that happy. Yes. You you know, like, like I, I I feel that. And I've Mm -hmm. seen that with a lot of psychedelic people. Yeah. Yeah. Where they somehow have achieved that level of like, they're just two inches off the ground at all times. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, fuck, man. Yeah, and I used to, I kind of feel like I used to view happiness and uh, peace of mind to that degree almost as like ignorance. Like, do you not see the fucking world clearly? How can you be this free and easy? Totally, are you dude. a fucking moron? What Open are your you eyes, ignoring? man. Yeah. The world is a disaster. <laughs> Everything's awful. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Tragedy is coming for you. It's around the corner. Yep. Like, who the fuck are you to be happy? Take your sandals off and put your boots on. It's going to get <laughs> yes. fucking ugly. I hear you, dude. It's amazing. Yeah. And those people literally, like, like so I want to ask you, your go-to anxiety, is it this, is it, is it fear? Is it you're not doing enough? Is it people don't like me? Is it all the above? Is it kind of just like a like a stew of like self hatred? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, and I don't want to blame it all on Jehovah's Witness stuff, but that you know, my upbringing, for one, you know, it definitely laid the foundation for the anxiety mm -hmm. for sure, which was you know going door to door from the time I was six years old and having people quite angry to see me there, slamming doors in my face, running from attack dogs. I had a guy threaten to pull a gun on me when I was 12. Jesus. Uh, so that kind of laid the groundwork for this feeling, this chronic feeling of I'm a burden, I'm a nuisance, I'm an imposition, nobody wants me around. The, the, the sight of me alone uh, elicits anger and uh frustration and you're anticipating rejection exactly at all times yes i yes. get it yeah. yeah 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 uh wow okay all right so, <laughs> so uh yeah that that was definitely definitely a running theme for me and then um the other main thing i would say was in terms of anxiety was this feeling of a lost adolescence and having to make up for lost time yes so like okay i didn't really enter the real world until i was 20 years old so in a lot of ways i felt like my life didn't actually start until i was 20 years old and all mm. these things that my peers outside of the organization were able to experience as teenagers were completely new to me and I felt like I had to catch up. So it was just like, and this is true of a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses, just drinking, drugs, sex, just cramming as much in as you possibly can just to assimilate yourself to the real world. And then the whole time you're having fun, you're going like, am I doing enough? Am I mm -hmm. taking it all in? And you're almost like narrating yourself out of the moment. Yeah. And having that, like I, I had that quite a bit like growing up where it was like, I remember leaving to go see fish for a couple weeks. And right before I left, my dad goes, I guess the lawn will just cut itself. <laughs> That's how he said goodbye. Yeah. And now I'm like on acid four states away, like at a fish show, like all I'm thinking about is like how high the grass is. Right, right. And how like he works so hard and now he's got to go cut the grass too. Like what a horrible kid I am. <laughs> meanwhile, the band is playing like the best I've ever seen. And I'm just like not there. Yeah. Because my anxiety's got me like in a different place. Right. And I've right. always felt that kind of like, you know, be present, be here. And, mm -hmm. and it's so hard to do sometimes. Yeah. So I imagine when you're like constantly thinking like, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. Sure. I have to have as much fun as I possibly can. Yeah. My dad was the master of passive aggression. too. <sighs> like, like I grew up, I grew up in, in Connecticut, in Connecticut as well. And, you know, 20 years ago when we had real winters, yeah. my dad would be out. And my dad was 52 when I was born. Okay. So he would be out shoveling the walk. You know, he'd ask me to do it. I'd put it off, put it off, put it off. So then I'd hear the, and I'd look out the window and see him out there. And he'd, he'd like wave to me and then come back in and be like, well, you know, if I, uh, drop dead of a heart attack out there, you'll know why I'm too old to be doing this shit. Ah, <laughs> Dude. Our dads and... went to the same fucking school. <laughs> <laughs> Connecticut so, yeah. passive aggression. You had a good run. 
Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yes. So, so you're with sex, man. I'm with sex, man. Um, and, uh, in this apartment that he wasn't even, it wasn't even his apartment. Of course not. It was, uh, it was, he was Airbnb this apartment just for these spiritual journeys that I guess he was doing for a week. He didn't even live in New York. He came in from Denver. So he lives in, he lives in Denver and he was coming in, he would come into the city periodically a couple times a year to do these spiritual retreats with people. I love this. Uh, so Denver to Brooklyn, Denver to Brooklyn. How perfect. So, but I honestly, I felt, uh, pretty, pretty much instantly felt like I was in good hands because again, I could sense that sense this clarity and this and this real presence that I was envious of. I was like, okay, is yeah. this is this what is actually attainable by through doing this? Yeah. And so we uh I gave him a little bit of my story prior, you know, through you know, e- emails or signal messages, you know. So he knew a little bit of my back my backstory and then told him a little bit more and then uh he was like he he prepped me for the dose and that there was a it was put in a capsule and i can't even remember let me see if i if i can remember the uh the dosage the milligram uh 200 milligrams which i don't know what is, what is is that that's like that's 2 a, grams that's 2 grams right is that a that's a lot is it yeah yeah and i think i i if i remember correctly i think i remember him asking me point, if, point 0.2 grams it's what 200 milligrams is 0.2 grams. 0.2 grams. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes more sense. I'm not the math I'm, guy. Dude, I'm no math wizard. I'm like, either. oh, you had two pounds. Yeah. <laughs> you ate two MDMA trees. I had a whole okay. brick. It took me a while to get through it. I had my steak knife out. And I'm everything. amazed I successfully sold drugs in college. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Mike. Yeah. yeah you're like, whatever two. you think is the right amount, just take it. <laughs> so, point It's an two. honor system. <laughs> grams. I'm sure that's, yeah. I remember him giving me a choice of like, do you want to take this much? And then if you're not feeling it, you can take more? Or do you just kind of want to not risk it and get clobbered with it? Dive in. And not, you know, and not, you know, tiptoe around it. You said, let's do the uppercut. If I'm here, let's fucking do it. Let's do it. So I I know that that was the, I took the option for the highest possible dose that he was willing to give me. That's amazing. Um... So, uh, pre-dose, so he, again, he sent me all these session notes after my session. So pre-dose, 10.15 to 10.45, um, this is before I've even taken the, the capsule that is in, you know, he has almost like this little shrine set up, like this incense burning and this candle and, uh, the, the capsule is in a, uh, like a champagne flute, you know? In a champagne flute. Yeah, yeah. And it's this very, you know, kind of... It's it's a it's a real display that he has set up here, um, and uh, so I remember already even before taking it, he has here not being able to feel, cry, emotions starting to arise, choking up, tears flowing, remembering mom's death, and I started to snowball into this whole. It was like I was transported back to being in the hospital when my mom was seventeen. She died of a brain aneurysm. And I and I like went back there. This is before I, I haven't even taken the dose yet. Wow. It was almost just it's like still in the cup. It's still in the cup. And I'm already like 
clearly so eager ready to do this you were ready that i was already going i was already going into it damn man. you know oh it was almost like the the placebo effect of just just being able to visualize it and be damn. like that's gonna be working its way through me in a matter of minutes so i already was like starting to process things and say things that i had never said before even though i had already been in 10 years of therapy to this guy I had never met before, who's wow. not a licensed therapist, not a doctor, mm-hmm. and I just started to fucking go. Yeah, and then that was uh, that was for uh, almost a half an hour, almost a half an hour, and uh, uh, one of the things that I that I said to him, which I still think about on a on a daily basis, and uh, forgive me if I'm already going like. I was going to say if I'm already like going too deep of a dive on this in terms of Oh my of God, details, no, please. Like, this is. But like one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses believe, I think I told you, is like, is one of the ways they rope you in is if you are a good, upstanding member of the organization, you will survive Armageddon and you will live forever on a paradise earth. And if you die beforehand, you will be resurrected after Armageddon to live on paradise earth. Okay. So that's, that's like a, um, that's one of these kind of enticing things that they use is like, all right, if you stay in this, it was used with me, you know, if you stay in this organization, you'll be reunited with your mom because she was an upstanding member of Jehovah's Witnesses. She was like a pillar in the community. So she's going to be resurrected and you can be reunited with her. Okay. Yeah. And when she died, I remember my aunt, her sister, who I felt very conflicted about my relationship with her growing up. Um, because she was so opposed to the Jeho- whole Jehovah's Witness thing and would always try to kind of talk my mom out of it and and really kind of standing up for me like you're brainwashing this kid he's not allowed to you know he's not allowed to socialize or celebrate holidays like what are you doing to this poor guy yeah yeah and my mom was so tortured by it that I I viewed my aunt as a bully my whole life when in actuality she was really trying to stand up for me okay uh so when my mom died I remember my aunt giving me a hug in the waiting room of the ICU and she leaned into me and she whispered in my ear, she said, you know, you're never going to see her again. Right. And I took that as like, what you cold fucking bitch. Yeah. Really? You know? yeah, like, yeah. what do you think I'm doing this for? It's to be able to, but I had this revel and still, but I haven't taken the dose yet. And I'm, I'm having wow. this realization. Yeah. yeah. I was like, that was her way. I didn't realize it at the time, but I genuinely think that was her way of kind of setting me free of like, hey, you don't, you're, you're free now. You're never going to see her again. Stop holding on to this hope. You can live your own life now. And I had this kind of moment of clarity about this at that moment. And I at the, of, in, yeah, at, yeah. in Brooklyn. Yeah. Before taking before it. Before taking it. Yeah. What do you think that was? Do you think it was literally just like you're your spirit or your, you know, the inner child or something that was like just ready to lay this stuff out and deal with it. And it's like, yeah. you didn't even need right the, the the pill to do it. And it was like, let's go, let's do this. Let's settle. Let's put, put it all out and repack mm-hmm. and leave what we don't need. Yeah. Damn, I think, dude. I think I had been so walled off and guarded for so long that, you know, it was almost just like the pendulum swung in the other direction. It was like, let's just I'm demolish ready. Let's all do of it. this. You know, I got nothing to lose. I've been living in misery. 
forever. Dude, I'm so happy yeah, for you that this. Let's take a fucking sledgehammer. To yeah, this, let's blow you know? it up. Now, can I ask what was yeah. his reaction to all of this? Because, like, I'm... I think he was pretty shocked. Yeah, I, mean, I remember him saying to me, kicking back, be like, "You haven't even, you haven't even taken the pill yet." <laughs> He's going. Maybe we do yeah. point one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? He's yeah. like, let's just do a half a dose. Damn, amazing. So you're doing because what a lot of people don't understand with these experiences is you have to do the work, and the work is different for everybody. Yeah. And you were already doing the work before what these medicines do, whether it's ayahuasca, mushrooms, MDMA, meditation, float tanks, whatever it may be, therapy it gets you to the point where you can access and address these things. Sure. It, it pulls our ego, silences that critic, and kind of gets us to the point where we can, like, really look at the, like, the shit we have to deal with. And mm -hmm. you're, you were, like, a million miles ahead. You already did a couple laps before the race even started. That's yeah. phenomenal, dude. Yeah. I'm thinking, because while you're talking, I'm thinking about my experience, and I'm like, that's really great. Like that's really, really great that you were you're you're you were able to do that before. I mean, I I was shocked myself too. Must and have like, felt and, so good. And, and and it was almost like uh I remember I remember when he finally was like, Okay, you ready to uh what did he call it? Did he call it like the sacrament? He didn't call it like the dose. He had a very kind of ceremonial term for it. Might have been sacrament. But he was like, "Are you ready to take whatever, whatever the term he was?" And I and it kind of dawned on me again. I was like, "Oh yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't even taken it yet. Like, what the fuck was that? It just kind of flooded out of me already." <laughs> so then when I uh, I took it, um, the first things I started to say, um, when I don't live the way I know I need to, I become controlling and critical, become who I don't want to be. Uh, I'm not abandoning my family when I take care of myself. I'm actually taking the best care of them possible. But I feel guilty, feels like I'm a bad person if I do that. The spiritual bypass of putting others above self, because that's what you're supposed to do, but then you feel resentful and angry. Beware of martyrdom. So these are all just yeah. notes. But that's I, heavy I, right there. Yeah. <clears throat> that's something sure. I think that anybody with any form of like, childhood guilt yeah you have that like that, that what you just said and if you could read it again the first sentence of it i think you said like you're taking the best care of your family if you're taking care of yourself yeah you're not you're not abandoning them when you take care of yourself you're actually taking the best care of them possible oof yeah dude heavy which uh yeah it's so true man it's so uh it's so um uh Anti antithetical is that the right word to my to my instincts of thinking i don't count i don't matter i need to put others before me but then yeah you become resentful when you feel like you're you know you're abandoning yourself yep and i and i'm starting to and i it's funny that like we're talking about this and i'm reading these things now that i'm able to that i now am incorporating on a daily basis because i have four four and a half months of complete sobriety now Fantastic. and these are and these are all principles that i'm like applying on a daily basis that i notice slipping through my fingers if i don't stay disciplined about it so yes. like yes and and um so one of the things i realize is if i don't 
do these things to care for myself, prayer, meditation, make phone calls, uh, call my sponsor, um, go to meetings, all these things that I initially viewed as a threat to my own freedom, to time that I spend with my family, I now realize it's an investment in the greater good of everything. You know, and if I do these things to take care of myself, it will allow me to be a more present husband, father, more patient, more understanding, more compassionate. And if I don't, you know, there's times where I wake up and I'm like, I'm not going to pray and meditate. I got to get my son ready for school. I got to pack his lunch, which I do have to do, but I need to prioritize this time for myself. Otherwise I do, I become a fucking resentful prick Yep. and I see it. Every time I, I I get complacent and think I don't have to take care of myself, yeah, yeah, that it happens, yeah. And I think you realizing that is evolution. Like yeah. you are evolving from, you know, we think about like our dads or whatever, right? And the generations before them, like nobody ever. Can you imagine them having that realization or that conversation with a friend where it's like, yeah, you know, I realize if I take care of myself, I'll be a better dad and I'll be a better like. That's I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because you're fathering the next generation of men, really. You know what I mean? Like your right. son's watching you take care of you. Right. You know what I'm saying? And like, I have a buddy who I was talking to recently where he brought up his son was scared of going to school in first grade or whatever. And he got down to his level and looked him in the eyes and he goes, buddy, I'm the same way. He goes, I get nervous too. And the kid almost ended up con consoling the dad. Yeah. And it's this thing of like, wow, like be vulnerable Mm -hmm. Be like, I need to do this in order to be the best, like, you know, father and husband and person. And nothing is worse than when you know what can make you happy, but you put it off for whatever bullshit yeah. reason. And then you end up like more tired, more angry, mad at yourself. So you snap at others. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, the fuck? You just like it. And it just goes down, especially exactly. with like some substances and food and lack of sleep and all that other shit like that we have to deal with as comics a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's hard. Like you really got to be vigilant and you got to make sure that you're like taking those times. So I'm glad that you're like, that's, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. so cool. It's true though. I mean, and like my dad, yeah. And there's a difference between taking care of yourself in a real meaningful, rejuvenating way and, uh, and, and filling your time with, you know, like my dad, it's not like he prayed and meditated and he didn't have a friend group, you know? He worked. Yeah. He worked a job that was grueling and punishing and monotonous. And then he came home and he made a beeline for the basement and he would just clean guns for two hours before dinner. Wow. You know? Like that was his meditation that was his self-care yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> listening to conservative talk radio and cleaning guns yeah and cleaning guns <laughs> <laughs> at least the guns were clean i guess right? yeah exactly everybody's yeah. got their golf you don't want to misfire <laughs> when you're trying to take out the enemy <laughs> so about how far into the the trip were these realizations did he mark the time so yes this was uh ten the, the, took the dose at 10:48 and this was already this was, and then it says starting to feel the tingles at eleven thirty. So it this wasn't even minutes. like yeah, yeah this yeah. wasn't even like full immersion yet. No, and then eleven thirty nine, really feeling it now, um, and then talking about um, and this this is where kind of like he chimed in, 
saying your wife's greatest happiness is you being happy. Um, the mom issue of making you her last hope for happiness, the pressure of that. Because I don't, I don't know if I told you this, but like my siblings all, you know, your, your worth in the Jehovah's Witness organization is contingent on your whole family being on board and a part of it. Wow. And that rarely happens. So much you pressure, know? dude. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. But anybody with half a brain, they get to a point where they start to question things, they see what else the world offers, and they start to stray from it. Right. So that happens a lot of time, and that's why all these families fall apart, and you know, you're know you ostracized and shunned, and, and you're not allowed to communicate with your own family once they leave. So I watch all my siblings, one after another, leave, and then... I, by proxy of being the youngest by 14 years, became, you know, the Obi-Wan. I was the only hope. Last all hope. This, yeah, all this pressure was put on me for my mom's happiness and her all her sense of self-worth. The watchtower was on your shoulders, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Jeez, that's a lot. And did that came out at like... That, yeah. Yeah. That came out, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty early. This is only... About an hour after taking the dose. Um, and then this was an interesting thing. I had a revelation of of this. Your mom, My mom actually being envious of me for achieving the life that she was looking for. <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, because, you know, I know that she was. She thought she was doing the right thing, but she was looking for a sense of community. She was looking for a fan. She grew up alcoholic parents, you know, very walled off, cold, sure. waspy, blue blood, you know, it's yeah. a typical stereotypical upbringing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she was looking for a community, a sense of belonging, a sense of family, and unfortunately it was it was this. Uh, and it's so it's so funny too because, man, she, she was like, she was set to go off to nurses training when she met my dad and then she blew off nurses training to marry my dad and then shortly after they got married is when Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door. And like, I I feel so certain that nurse, that being a nurse would have given her this sense of purpose, given her this sense of like, she was caring for people because she was very nurturing. Yes, exactly. Really doing a service. Yeah. Like the consummate mother. Yes. Like, yeah. 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 And instead that got sidelined and this filled that void. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. And that's for you to think about and for you to like, kind of diagnose in your mind is, is, you know, from a child that wants nothing but the best for their mother. Sure. You know, like who doesn't? Yeah. That's a lot. And then you feel that if only. Mm-hmm. I remember when we talked, you were like, if only my mom took a couple mushroom trips, like maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like we yeah. think about that and it's like, it's almost kind of like I can see the, I'm really, and the more I talk to people about this stuff and the more we have these conversations, it seems to me like the uh, empathetic evolution. Mm hmm. Not like the, you know, primate to standing up to like, you know, using a phone and driving and all that, but the emotional version of that, where it's like, we see what our parents couldn't do. Yeah. And they see what their parents couldn't do. And it's like, your kids are going to see what you couldn't do, even though you're doing everything that you could, they're still going to be somehow more emotionally evolved and stuff. And it's wild to, if only... But then if she did take my, I think about that with my mom all the time. After one of the more recent mushroom trips I took, I called her and I was, and I didn't plan on it at all, but I called and I was like, you don't have to be my mom anymore. Like, I just want you to be my friend. Like you did it. 
yeah. we're done. Like, yeah. take the pressure off. You have no job anymore. Just be cool. Just be friends with me. And I and it was she was like, thank you. And I'm like, she goes, I don't think I've ever heard anybody ever say that to me before or whatever. But nothing's changed because I don't think she know just because I feel it and I say that doesn't mean she has the faculty to be like, let me yeah. shut this mother switch off. Sure. And turn on the friends switch. I don't think because similar, they didn't have a big friend group. They didn't have it was church. It was religion. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like what dad did. You know what I mean? Like follow the the path. Yeah. So as much as we hope maybe our parents could have been different, it's just like, I think they have to be who they are so we could be who we are. So we know yeah. who, what not to be. Did you mm-hmm. ever think about that? Where it's like, I look at what I see, what like not to be in people instead of what to be. Oh yeah. It's like yeah. a reverse hero. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. I'd say right? that's much been much more of a motivating force in my life is the what cautionary tale. Yeah, like, dude. Oh, yeah. Don't do that. Definitely <laughs> don't, don't want to be that guy. guy. Yeah. Who do I want to be? I'm not really sure, but I know it's not <laughs> that. Yeah. Amazing. Dude. So let me ask, are you eye mask and music or are you just open eye uh, talking? Yeah. I'm sitting on a couch. He's sitting in a chair diagonally across the room. He's kind of taking notes intermittently. He's kind of encouraging me to, you know, drink water. Like I, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm barely f- functioning as a human being at this point. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like my, I remember my arms being in like a weird position and looking down and be like, I've never sat like this before, you know, and him being like, you know, let your shoulders drop, relax. And I felt myself really sinking into the couch, but then him having to remind me of just basic human functions, like drink some water. Do you need to go to the bathroom? And being like, yeah, really? I, yeah, my bladder's going to fucking explode. <laughs> yeah, totally. and like go to the bathroom and standing up and feeling very like a toddler Learning how to walk for the first time. Pissing a river of diamonds, dude. (laughs) That's the craziest thing. Like when you're on like these one-on-one things. Like at a at a concert, I'm not looking at like my piss. But if I'm eating mushrooms alone in a dojo or something, and then like you go pee, it's like, oh my god, (laughs) it's literally a river of gold. Need to harvest this. Yeah, you're like, like angels (laughs) are coming to buy my piss. (laughs) (laughs) So. Looking You're, at myself in the bathroom mirror and being like, whoa. What that's the, the worst. Yeah, that's always, you know. Yeah. And he warned me ahead of time, like, you know. Yeah. I know you're I know you're going to look at yourself in the mirror. Just remember everything's okay. You're still the same person that you came in here as. Yeah. Yes, you're going to have some insights, but, you know, yeah. try not to dwell on your <laughs> your physicality too much. Wow. Um. So then, uh, let's see. Um. Basically diving into like being expressive, letting go of these uh, inhibitions, demolishing these walls that I had up. Um, That what I who I chose as a partner, I chose because the opposite of my mom doesn't want me to fall in line, and because that's that's the thing that was counterintuitive to my upbringing is like um, seeing that me falling in line and uh and walking the straight and narrow and and removing my own identity, my own thoughts and wants and desires yeah. helped me function in this in this society, in this organization. Yeah. You know, you have to completely that's part of the brainwashing is just like your own surrender. I- yeah, your yeah. own identity is is erased. And then you get into the real world and you're like, why isn't this working? You know, why is my 
yeah. wife want more from me? I don't, and, and, and not having anything to give because you don't have, you haven't even formed your own identity yet. Right. And how heartbreaking that realization can be of like, oh, fuck, I still have to figure out who I am. You and know? you're thinking. And I'm in my late 30s. Yep. Jesus Christ. Late 30s. And you're looking at her, and I'm think, I'm talking about me, my wife, total like, so self-sufficient, so driven, so successful. And I'm looking at her like, the only thing I could do is make her life worse. Like, I don't yeah. have it together enough for her. Right. And I'm like intimidated by her togetherness where like I tried to break up with her mm-hmm. and she's like, no, you're not, you're not. <laughs> she's like, what's really going on? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm good enough for you. And I just like, you know, and she's yeah. like, dude, shut up. You're great. Whatever. But yeah. that whole thing of like, I don't know who I am. I've been paranoid to blow it right. my whole life. Literally. Right. I felt like the entire weight of the world was on my shoulders when literally, like if you said, what, what world, what weight? I don't even know if I would have been able to, to tell you or show mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. but there was just that impending doom of like, I'm going to fuck it up. Yes. It's the yeah. worst. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see her and she's like, no, be you do what you want to do. Like pursue your career. I'm here to support it. And you're like, what? Like, which, which is so weird too, because yes, you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You feel like you are the, are the glue that's holding everything together. You can, you can make things, you can manifest things with your, with your thoughts. And you, you know, if you worry about things enough, you can keep bad things from happening. Yep. Uh, but you also don't want to not worry about them because then your, your complacency will allow those things to happen. And then, and then ultimately finally realizing, and I didn't realize this at, at the time of this, but now through through sobriety and like us, you know, having more of a spiritual connection, that that way of thinking is the ultimate narcissism, really. Yes. You know, you think you're being so uh, uh, unselfish, but, it, you know, again, it's martyrdom. It's, it's, it's you're being so self-sacrificing for the good of others, but in actuality, you're putting all this undue pressure on yourself. That's, you do, you, you think you're the center of the universe. And then to realize, oh, it's, it's kind of really, you know, surrendering this idea of control and... And finding acceptance in that and be like, yeah. oh, okay, I don't have any control. Yes, that can initially be terrifying, but what a fucking relief. So you know? relieving. And it's so interesting that you say that too, because I remember one of the things that I had an experience with with one of my earlier psychedelic experiences was that it doesn't matter kept like coming back into my, like it was almost like, you remember like um, Goodwill Hunting at the end when he's like, it's not your fault, son. Yeah. It's not your yeah. fault, son. He says it over and over and over. It doesn't matter kept like coming up and coming mm-hmm. up. And there's a song, a fish song that called Bug. And one of the like the chorus, they just keep saying it doesn't matter. And that kept playing over and over in my head. But I kept like sticking with it, you know, and I started to realize that like my type of anxiety, your type of anxiety, not everybody, but some of us, we have this thing where everything matters so much. Yeah. Like every little thing is life or death. Mm-hmm. The weight of the world is on every decision. Every mistake is catastrophic to us. So relief from that is to realize that like literally none of this shit matters. Nothing matters. And to be able to have that, and it's not a nihilistic, like nothing matters. It's a, it's okay if I fuck up. Yeah. It's okay if I have to start over. It's okay if I let someone down or whatever. And like that is such freedom from the shit that we kind of, 
you right, know, right. have carried with us or sure. what was handed to us, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I think that some people can't understand that. Those are the folks that tell us, like, just relax. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah I tried that. That's fucking not that easy to do, you know? Yeah, sure. It's wild. It, it, it's interesting to, like, when you have that realization that it's like, yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. Like, mm-hmm. none of that matters. Yeah. And I've definitely had that, maybe not so much in this trip, but other psychedelic trips had this perspective of being part of the universe and being able to zoom out in a way that I wasn't able to before and realizing my insignificance and taking such tremendous comfort in that. Yeah. I'd be like, the world has existed, the universe has existed for billions of years before me. <laughs> it may exist for billions of years after I'm gone. Like, yeah. I have, I have, the, my actions ultimately have zero repercussions in the grand scheme of things. Yep. And that's why, like, you know, if I watch a, a space documentary, uh, it's it's so comforting. Isn't it? You know? Yeah. And, and I remember talking with uh, with Christy Cello about this. It's another reason I love living in New York City is because it's almost like a smaller version of space. There's so much going on. There's so many. There's millions of people here. That's such a great analogy. Like it, yeah. It minimizes my role in things in a very comforting way way yeah you know? yeah like an apartment building could be a galaxy all to itself exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Like you have no idea what's going on on the wall like you're sharing a wall with a you know someone who literally maybe just moved to america yes and they have yeah. 10 children they have to feed and you're like alone in your apartment like uh-huh if i fuck up the world's gonna end yeah <laughs> it's so yeah. fucking weird yeah. dude yeah it's amazing so you are now hours into this you're sitting with this. this. Yeah. I, f- I also wish that we could get into the fact that, like, I don't think I could ever have this type of session with a male guide. Yeah. Mine have always yeah. been female. All my therapists really? have always been female. All my everything. My yeah. doctors that I did the ketamine with were female. Like, I just don't know. I don't have it in me to open yeah. up to a dude, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is. Was that hard? <laughs> I had I had had... Uh, a bunch of female therapists before this. I had had one male. Th- the first male therapist that I had uh, was not a good experience because he would he would fall asleep on me all the time. Old man. Old man. Yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. And I didn't. I didn't even have the balls to be like. Hey, his name was Kim. Be like, hey, Kim, you, you with me, man? <laughs> I let. I'll let him. I'll put a. I'll, I'll sooner drape a blanket over him and take <laughs> yeah, his slip his shoes off before I'll. <laughs> I'll tell him it's actually bothering you me. You put on some classical and just <laughs> yeah. tiptoe out. Kiss him on the forehead. And <laughs> I love you, Kim. <laughs> leave the money on the counter. <laughs> There's a Venmo in your inbox, bubby. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny, dude. Wow. Yeah. I had a guy who I thought he was like um like like testing me. Like yeah. I get very like confrontational where he's like, So why do you think you do this? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, why are you asking me why I do this? And he's like, dude, because it's part of the therapy. And I'm like, all right, all right. Like so right, I was getting right. like kind of like, you wanna fight? Like, I don't know why. Yeah. I felt very aggressive and very like uh challenged. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like with all female I had a hypnotherapist that was this like amazing woman. Um, all my therapists and all my, you know, guides and stuff. Right, right. We're all like kind of more maternal or grandmotherly or whatever. And I'm, I felt like, and one of them was like, we should do a session where I have like a male therapist and me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm not sure. Something about being vulnerable maybe, but. 
Right. And yeah, to be honest with you, I'm I'm surprised that I was able to open up to this guy so much. And again, you know, when I when I saw his exchange with this when this with his girlfriend or his, his this woman and I was like, all right, he's going to give me this pill that I'm trusting him that this is MDMA. That's I don't know a, what he's actually giving me, you know. I don't yeah. know where I am. I don't know if this is his real name. Am I going to fucking wake up with his balls in my mouth? Like, I don't know what I'm signing up for right now. It's such a uh, leap of faith. It really, that's so true. And people don't realize that, that like, yeah, that moment when you take it. Yeah. And now all that shit hits. Right, right. Because, and especially how we're kind of (laughs) predisposed to distrust and fear. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, did I just eat? Like, am I going to wake up with like in a tub of ice with like a kidney missing? Yeah. Yeah. Balls in your face. Totally. And yeah, and yeah, like my household was, um, vulnerability was not, um, embraced at all. No. You know, like if anything, that's like, that's like, that's like dropping your hands in the boxing ring. Yeah. You just leave yourself open to get obliterated, you know, and everybody was looking for the cracks to, to, you know, say some catty fucking offhanded, demeaning, uh, diminishing comment you know and you're just hanging it out there for them to yeah 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 yeah, yeah i know just, and here you are with this dude it all yeah. before even taking it it's amazing <laughs> yeah so how long did the whole like the, the the i haven't done an mdma guided session before i've only done ketamine and mushroom guided sessions right but the come down the the kind of you know the denouement or whatever mm-hmm how was that? Was that like, did, was this whole thing like about an eight hour experience or so, like uh, six hours? Like, did you feel like you were in and out of it quick? This is, you know, what's funny? Like, it never says when this end. The last time code here is 1130, starting to feel the tingles, 1139, really feeling it now. And then there's just like two more pages of notes, feelings about fatherhood, being able to live vicariously through my son, give him the experience that I didn't have, finding all these um, things to be grateful for about my upbringing that prepared prepared me and gave me a perspective on the way that I live now. Ultimately, you know, finding gratitude for my life and not necessarily wanting to do it all over again, you know? Wow. But I think, I think, I don't remember walking out of there until like, I want to say like four o'clock. So it was at least a four, four and a half hour. He let you go pretty early. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I remember walking out of there and taking the train home. That's bonkers to me. And, and, and like looking around at people on the train, just being like, these people have no idea the fucking. (laughs) (laughs) You just have a halo around you. Like, yeah. You're like, I know so much about the universe that they don't. Yeah. And you're looking at them and you're seeing through them. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. supposed to sleep over where I went and did the mushroom trip, but I, w- I came out, I went in and out super fast. Yeah. And she's like, I think you're okay, like, if you want to take off. And I had, like, an hour and a half drive, and it was in the fall, and it was, like, through the upper part of New York, and just the right music came on and the right sunset and all of that, and it was, like, that was even a lot. I couldn't imagine a subway. Yeah. Like walking out to like Brooklyn, right? And getting right. on a subway, dude. I give you so much credit. And he kind of, and he kind of told me ahead of time, like you know, be mindful of what it's gonna be like when you walk out of here. You're gonna feel like you just 
went to, like you said went to another universe and came back yeah uh you may not want to take the train and i was just like no 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 i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm not having <laughs> somebody come fucking get me i didn't just get a colonoscopy it's okay you know <laughs> yeah, right. like you had a mental <laughs> I'm a colonoscopy. big boy yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> <laughs> Um, you went home and your wife's waiting for you there and she's like, how'd it go? Yeah. Do you break down again? Do you have like a, do you talk to her about it or? Um, yeah, uh, I didn't break down again immediately. I think, I think I was like, I just need a, let me, I'm still kind of processing things. Yeah. And then, uh, he sent me these notes the next day and then I, and then I sat her down like that next night and kind of went through everything and just, you know, sobbing tears streaming down my face you know a good and, cry. and again like that's that's a uh, like you said that's another big part of it is anybody can take a fucking dose and get thrown into another stratosphere but really being able to reflect on it and yeah and remember or ruminate upon the th these revelations that you've had and then try to really incorporate them into your life in a real meaningful way, that's that you know, that's that's, that's the, the work. integration, yeah, and that's yeah. the part where, and that's hard because that feeling that you had, I'm sure, a couple days after, a week after, you have this like expansion, and yeah. you feel you wake up kind of like I call it like reverse hangover, mm -hmm. where you're like you wake up feeling better somehow, like you're like yeah. a kid again, and you're like open and happy and peaceful, and that shit ends. Yeah, you know what I mean, like someone things your car or fucking whatever and you're like fucking you know back to life that's yeah. why i've always called psychedelics a double-edged butter knife because it's like you go see you know another galaxy but then you got to come down to this shit one again yeah and you're like fucking there's such a better place yeah, yeah you yeah, know it'd be yeah. like visiting heaven and then you're like ah, i gotta go back to hell <laughs> you know kind of but it's like interesting because and i want to ask you kind of to wrap up but like to imprint the imprint that it left do you feel that, because you've had experience with medication and therapy and all that other stuff too, do you feel like the the lessons you got from the guided MDMA experience, like did it leave an imprint, like a long lasting? Like, do you find that, I know what you said, like now since sobriety and all of that, mm -hmm. it almost kind of reinforced some of the stuff you learned, but those moments when you were there on the couch, like, can you easily access those if you think about it? Um... I, I again, I kind of I was for a while, and then like you were you were saying, you know, life life happens, yeah. you know, shit happens. Somebody says something that upsets you, or you know, you have a dude. I've spent just like my dad. I've spent so much of my life getting infuriated by inanimate objects, you know, <laughs> you know, punching a hole in the wall because my fucking internet went out, you know, yeah. like and and just stupid shit that just muddies your perspective on things in terms of the grand scheme of things that I, w I wish I could say yes. And, and I don't want to be one of these guys that's like trying to, trying to broadcast the, 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 um, the wonders of sobriety, but that's the good thing about it is like, you know, when I did MDMA and I had this, this wonderful reprieve and like it lasted for, I'd say like, a good, I'd say two weeks mm. before, you know, thing negativity started creeping back in. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, I guess I got to do this again, do it again, do it again. And then it becomes this point of like, all right, I guess I have to just 
take psychedelics every time I start to slip back into this <laughs> yeah. negativity and pessimism. And the good thing about sobriety for me is like, you know, the daily, the daily reprieve, you know, yeah. constantly checking back in and making it a real discipline yeah. because I can't get complacent. Every yeah. time I do, things kind of slip through my fingers again. Yeah. And, and realizing that, you know, when I was growing up, the thing that I pined for more than anything else was freedom because that's the one thing I didn't have. Yeah. And then to uh, live in the outside world and have ultimate freedom and then realizing I don't know, I don't really know what to do with that because it's like, I, it's like, I almost think of myself as like, I don't want it to be, but I feel like my spirit animal is like a German shepherd. Have you ever had a German shepherd yeah. as a pet? <laughs> They're a terrible fucking basket case of a dog to have as a pet yeah. because they need something to do. They need a job. They need a discipline. Otherwise, they're just, they're a fucking neurotic Yeah, mess. they're chewing on a chair and freaking out. Yeah, exactly. yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like wow, I need funny. that service dog vest on at yeah. all times yeah. where I feel like I don't know what to fucking do with myself. I got it. And so, um, yeah, being able to and – and then realizing all these things that I thought were taking my time in terms of my checklists, my daily checklists in terms of maintaining my sobriety that I thought were taking my time, it's actually an investment in in my freedom because it allows me to operate – in a way where I'm not a I'm not an asshole, right? And I'm not doing damage control by yeah. some prickish thing I said to my wife or son or some other exchange I had with somebody else, yep. where I'm not anxious or frustrated. And ultimately, this this time that I've spent actually buys me more time to really be free. Yeah. That makes sense. It makes complete sense. And I think that, like, you know, I appreciate that so much. And it's not realistic to every time you slip back to take psychedelics, all that. It's just not a realistic yeah. way to live unless you're this fucking bicoastal shaman that just, like, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but it, it, what I've learned, and it was through a ketamine experience, it was just wait. Like, wait an hour, wait a minute, wait a day, wait a mm. week, whatever the length of time is for that particular thing. Right. If I get some email where it's like, I, I initially would be like, oh my God, absolutely, yes. And then I double book myself. And then I'm like, who do I let down? You know, I have to choose between things. I and mean, I'm beating myself up and I never enjoy any of it. Yeah. It's just like, let's sleep on it. Like, right, they'll right. be there tomorrow to answer, you know? Yeah. And it's nice to have that kind of like, that's brand new to me, mm -hmm. is not being impulsive. React yeah, yeah. and regret kind of shit, you know? So. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my whole thing is like, and you know, you come up with with catchphrases and sayings, and it sounds hokey, but that's another big part of recovery too, is like, is is these little things that you can kind of reminisce on, these little sayings, which sound so cliche and hokey at the time, but you're like, all right, these exist for a reason. And one of, one of mine, I don't know if it's mine, but I've heard it said that I use a lot is, is respond rather than react, you know? Yeah. Take a minute. Not everything. Yeah. Most things don't need to elicit an initial reaction. You can take a breath, take a beat. Yeah. yeah. Give it some fucking thought. Yeah, I know. Don't just have this knee-jerk impulse to react to it. Yep. Um, and I also just want to say that, like, though I could, you know, uh, you know, kind of ruminate on the, on the wonders of sobriety, I certainly don't want to diminish 
the benefits of psychedelics because I truly believe if I had not had these psychedelic experiences, I would not even have been open to yes. the idea of sobriety and having a more spiritual aspect of my life. And the whole idea of that coming from what I came from where God was this punishing, vengeful um, uh, presence to live in fear of, being able to redefine that and and have it be a comfort, I never I, I never would have been able to even get to that place without this. So this kind of this believe it or not psychedelics opened the portal for me to find sobriety. And I also want to say that there are there are still people. The jury's still out. There's different camps. There are some people in sobriety that think that you know you need to abstain from everything that could be qualified as a a drug or if not a drug, any sort of mind-altering substance. Yeah. And there's also people in sobriety that still do psychedelics because they don't believe that that's I, a problem. It's not a drug. It's not, an, it's not an escape. It allows you to tap back into what you're trying to maintain and cultivate. Yeah. And Bill W. himself. The 13th step, LSD. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that's why we're not doctors, but we, you know, I'll and, leave it at that. Yeah, no. And it's, and, and I'd love to come, we, you know, we have so much more, come back again and let's talk more. Yeah. I know, I know we, you have to go, but thank you so much. And thank you, uh, man. can you please tell everybody where they can find all your stuff and yeah, yeah, yeah. All sure. Of that. Um, you can find me on Instagram at who Doug Smith and, um, yeah, that's, that's my main social media platform that I've been and Jehovah into. Boy. And yeah, that's so my podcast, Jehovah Boy, uh, which thanks again for being on there. Um, of course, I, dude. I dive more into my upbringing as a Jehovah's Witness and have conversations with other people who grew up in uh, strict religious extremist upbringings. And uh, it's been it's been great. And And again, like it's been this thing where, you know, going door to door... Jehovah's Witnesses call that going out in service. They call that service, <laughs> yep, which yep. you're providing a service that nobody fucking wants. Yeah, you know, yeah. nobody wants to be woken up at 9 a.m. on a Sunday being told they're going to get nuked at Armageddon. <laughs> but uh, the outpouring of uh, of support and encouragement that I've got from people, a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses from doing this podcast has been like amazing. And Great. it's you know, as you know, doing a podcast is grueling it can be frustrating there's moments where you're like who the fuck is listening to this what am i doing this for yeah and yeah i don't know man I've, i'm just like it's like the checkered flag is waving it's like all right keep going like Dude, I've, totally. I've, i'm actually providing a service i know that it's resonating and, and yeah and uh and and helping people so well not and as cool. someone who did your podcast i left thinking more about my stuff yeah. So I think that's a success too. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. Like we're like I could walk away from it wasn't just us screaming <laughs> about balls and shit. Like we actually got into some stuff and we you know even thinking yeah. about like how music was banned in our yeah yeah like, yeah. you know collective, you know, or respective upbringings and stuff. Just got me thinking about a lot of that. So thank you. Sure. And I love it and you're doing great work and Thanks, man. Any, if one person benefits from this, then it's worth it. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, man. You're the man. 